and welcome to another episode of the Rethinking H2O podcast, where every week we explore different stories around water that include safe water projects, trends in the water space, and blue mind. We hope you enjoy listening, and now here's your host, Kevin Sofen. Good day, Responsible World. How we doing? Really excited today to sit down with the CEO and founder of Katina's Classroom, Katina Rankin. We're going to learn about her aha moment where she decided to create an organization to help serve others in none other than Jamestown, Ghana. We're going to learn that around her focus around education and literacy and how that's a foundation for success and hit on the quote that John Adams once said, before any great things are accomplished, a memorable change must be made in the system of, system of education to raise the lower ranks of society nearer to the higher. It's a really interesting quote that we'll dive into and really focusing on the foundation of education and safe water and how that can lead to a prosperous future for those in Ghana. Take care and hope you enjoy listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rethinking H2O podcast. Today, we're really excited to sit down with Katina Rainkin, the CEO and founder of Katina's Classroom. Katina, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am great, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. So for some of our listeners who don't know anything about you or the organization, give us a little context on yourself and what is Katina's Classroom? Well, as you mentioned, my name is Katina Rankin. I am a Southern girl, if you haven't picked that up, born and raised in Mississippi. And I have been in broadcast journalism for 25 years. And last year, I began Katina's Classroom, and it sort of stemmed from me writing my first children's book. And it was based on literacy and improving literacy skills. And so I began in the Mid-South, which was Mississippi, Tennessee, and Arkansas. And then it branched out globally this past September when I got a divine directive from God to go to Africa. Okay. So you had this feeling that, hey, I need to go to Africa, and you just picked up and went to Africa? How'd that work out? Well, it was funny because I'll never forget it. It was January 1st, 2018, and it was about 11.37 p.m. I had just made it home from work, and I was just lounging around in the bed, and I heard God say, go to Africa. And I said, uh, Africa is sort of huge. We're in Africa. And he gently said, go to Africa. Went to bed, woke up the next day, went back to work, and I was headed out on a local good news shoot because once a week I do a story in the community that's local good news. And I was with the photographer, and I said, God told me the darndest thing last night. And he was like, what's that? I said, he told me to go to Africa. And he said, oh, my wife is from Ghana. And I said, oh, left it alone. We did our story, went on about my day. That night when I got home, I said, well, you know, I used to have this intern when I worked in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, that was from Nigeria. Let me reach out to her. So I picked up the phone, and I texted her, and I said, hey, listen, God told me to go to Africa. I know you're from Nigeria. I know it has to deal with literacy because that's what the direction he's been having me to go in. Do you know of any schools in underserved areas in Nigeria that need help? And so she says, well, not in Nigeria, but let me check with some of the people that I used to work with in television, some of the PR people I used to work with, and I will get back with you. I said, okay. I started strolling on my phone through Facebook, and this lady popped up, 
And she was from a school called the Noya Academy. And she was asking for rice for the children because it's the one meal a day or the largest meal a day that the kids get at the school. And so I said, God, this was silence. So I went to bed. And then the next morning, I was awakened by a telephone call from that intern who said, hey, listen, I check with my people in Nigeria. They don't know of any specific school. But have you heard of this school in Ghana? called the Noya Academy. And I told her that's all I need to know. Thank you so much. And so I got to work. Love it. So almost the rest is history and, and here we are now. So what is what is the Noya and, and what what's the school like and now what are some of the the programs and initiatives that you're working on with the Noya? Well, the Noya Academy is a small school of 130 children, and they are located on the landing beach in Jamestown, Ghana, which is right outside the capital city, Accra. And I don't really think that my eyes were prepared for what I would see the day that I went to the school. I don't think that my nose was prepared or anything like that. And let me explain that to you. Um, The kids' shoes that they wear on their feet, uh, the clothes that they wear, and I'm talking right down to their underwear, is used and donated. As I mentioned earlier, the one meal that they get at school a day is normally the only meal that they get a day. And that's some white rice and uh, tin tomatoes is what they call it, but it's red tomatoes on top, and then they may sprinkle a few fish parts. The kids have no running water. They have no electricity. As a matter of fact, the day that we drove up to the landing beach and I let the window down, I want you just to imagine walking into a fish market and you know what that smells like. Now, add into that the smell of urine, the smell of feces, the smell of fish being cooked so that it could go to the market, and that's what hits your nose. And... I had a tour guide that day who gave me a tour of the landing beach at the God Village of about 5,000 people. And these families and these children, they live in wooden boxes. Or they put the kids in the fishing boats from after being out in the Atlantic Ocean and fishing because those wooden boxes aren't that large. Um, and typically, it's a mother, a father, an uncle, an auntie, as they say, that has to sleep in that space. And all it is is a sheet that they put on the floor of that wooden box, and that's where they live. So generally, they put the children in the fishing boats after they grow out, or either they sleep on the landing beach. Mm-hmm. So that was my first experience with um, seeing Noya. When I walked inside of the school, uh, again, you know, it was no running water, it was no electricity, so they were learning by the sunlight that was coming through the uh, windows where the shutters were actually hanging off the door. Uh, the kids were sitting in plastic chairs and for pre-K and first grade, so they're the type of little uh, plastic chairs that you can go into your local dollar store around the summer and get for the kids to sit in. And then the third grade through sixth grade were sitting, 15 rather, in wooden desks. And just think about Little House on the Prairie and what those desks look like. And so that's where they were sitting. Um, I was amazed that all the kids did not have pencils or pens or even notebooks. And each class was really sharing a single textbook. 
And so the kids were retaining all of this information in their head because the families could not afford to buy the pens, the pencils, the notebooks. And so that was interesting to see. And something that really, really just broke my heart was that in that pre-K to first grade, it was two teachers, and they each had one bottle of water, and it was one green cup. And so after that one meal a day, the teachers would pour that bottled water into that green cup and give each child just one sip of water. And then for the second through sixth graders, it was a little bitty small orange barrel, maybe two feet high, that sat on one of those wooden chairs, and it was a white cup. And so after the second through sixth graders ate, then they each, you know, went to that orange barrel and they would dip that little white cup into that barrel that had bottled water poured into it and they would get their one sip of water. And then it was the next person and the next person. And when they finished, they would put that cup back into the water. So that's what I saw. Well, and I actually, Ghana was the first country that I ever saw in Africa with my own eyes. And and the, every country in Africa is, is different, but I I had that similar sensation of really being blown away with different aspects of, of poverty and hygiene and and you were talking about classroom resources and it's it's interesting because we hear in America how the one of the strongest and most powerful countries in the world and we struggle with paying teachers enough and having enough resources in the classroom and and no doubt we're under resourced in some capacity here, but trying to just put that in perspective of imagine what that's like in underprivileged communities in Ghana where gosh, they don't even have electricity to have light to be able to provide adequate lighting in the room. They're just relying on the sunlight, hoping that the sun's coming at the right angle or even uh, enough textbooks to be able to just have it enough for one for every five people. Um, so I think it's easy to kind of lose insight on that and, and complain about some of the issues we have here, which of course are problems, but that kind of, I think, has driven your organization to figure out, hey, what can we do to raise the resources and provide the proper solutions to help empower these schools um, and, most importantly, really give the children within this community of Ghana the opportunity to succeed and grow uh, into young adults? Well, it's amazing a couple of things that you mentioned. So Jamestown is the oldest um and poorest district in Accra, Ghana. And so you, you mentioned the teachers. Their teachers work for 65 U.S. dollars a month. Can you imagine that? 65 U.S. dollars a month. And most of the teachers are not from Jamestown, so they use that money for bus fare, but they come to that school every day because they have a passion for teaching those children because they know that education is the key to getting out of poverty. And so it was just amazing to watch the teachers teach those children with such passion. But it was also amazing to watch these children in those conditions, because um, you know what the heat is like in Africa. I mean, it's, it's basically on the equator, right? Um, and so to watch the sweat coming down their little faces, but yet their smiles are beaming with joy um, because people have come into their area. 
And when I set out to go over there, it was to set up a library because I deal with literacy. That's what the nonprofit deals with. And so I was excited to put their first library in their school. And then I saw these other things when I got there. And I said, okay, God, I realized that this wasn't just about literacy. I have this slogan that I find every one of my children's books because I'm also a children's author. But inside, I always write, with books, you can go places, read. So it's amazing how books actually took me to Jamestown, Ghana, but then the purpose was something much larger. And to me, I think about how we here in America take for granted a bottle of water. I mean, we'll open up a bottle, take two or three sips, and we'll put it down, and we may not ever go back to it, or we may trash it. But here you have these precious children having to share one bottle of water and only getting a sip a day. Mm -hmm. It was an eye-opener. I believe it. And I, I've seen that firsthand, and it really hits home. And it, it, it's the foundation of why we are doing the work we're doing. Um, so to dive into a little bit more, you, you talked about some of the aspects of literacy and, and setting up the library there. Tell me about what what you're doing with the school and how you're approaching providing safe drinking water or access to power. Have you looked at different water or power solutions to allow the school itself to operate better? How, how are you and Noya working together to solve those issues? Well, the immediate need was that I was talking to the headmistress, who is what we would call a principal here in the States, and I was asking, what does it take to get these children some clean drinking water and a bottle of water, you know, themselves? And so she said, for each kid to get their own bottle of water for an entire year would be $7,200. And so I said, okay, I had taken photographs while I was there at the school, and so I created this uh, picture book, a coffee table book, uh, the sites of uh, Ghana, the sites of Noya. And so I released that in November, and it was moving forward with Katina's classroom to where 100% of the proceeds from the book go back to the school, and it's to try to raise money for the children. But when the book sales weren't going that high, I remember I was sitting in front of my computer, and I was like, oh, God, I need an idea. What do I do next? And I heard ding, and I had gotten an email, and I went, and it was to my spam email, and I clicked on it, and it was somebody asking um, or advertising about wristbands. And I said, oh, wristbands for water. So I created these wristbands. Uh, they're blue and green. Green because that's part of the logo colors of the nonprofit. And the other half is blue because it's water. And so it's wristbands for water is written on the wristband so that when people buy a wristband for only a buck, then they understand why they're getting it and where you know, their money is going towards, and that's actually to, you know, get water for the kids. I did reach out to several companies to answer your question about getting a water well there. And so I've been in talks with them. As you know, it's quite expensive to get a water well because you're dealing, you know, with the parts and the shipping and the custom fees and all that's involved. But I'm trying to use this money for the wristbands, and I will use this money for the wristbands, 100% of it, to go to getting these children a water well so that they can have this clean water daily because they were washing their clothes in the Atlantic Ocean. You know, I told you that they uh, lived on the landing beach, and so that's where they're washing their clothes. And so um, they need sustainable water. 
and they need clean water. And it's not only, you know, water is a basic necessity and we all need it, but, you know, our health is directly tied to water. Mm -hmm. And and I know there's a lot that goes into drilling a well and really need to understand the hydrological underlayings within the water plane there, as well as who's going to take care of it and maintain it. And those are a lot of things that we'd like to expand further on as we collaborate further in 2019 to see what's the full scope of it. Could we use a manual drilling well? Do we need a an actual driller to come? So we'd, we'd love to keep that discussion going. Um, but what I, where I think I'd like to to ask you about next and see what else we can collaborate on is, is in regards to your education connection between students here in America and students in, in Ghana, where really it's the same, same, but different. Granted, we're in completely different situations from America to Ghana, no doubt. But we're really just talking about five-year-old to 15, 20, 18-year-old kids that just want to learn, just want to be together. So first, give me a little insight on what are you doing here in America? You mentioned the children's book to engage with students here to help understand what's going on in Ghana and aligning them with the opportunity to learn more or fundraise for these projects going on within your organization. Well, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because yesterday was like pretty amazing because I um, joined forces with the first elementary school here in Memphis, Levi Elementary. And so to kick off, you know, uh, pre-MLK day of service, we held an assembly at the school yesterday and we brought in someone from the National Civil Rights Museum to read to the kids about Dr. Martin Luther King and how he stood for love and how he stood for peace and how he stood for justice, but how he always thought it was important to give back. So from that, we transitioned into me showing the kids a video of the living conditions and of those kids having to share bottled water and use that same white cup to drink from that orange barrel. And I introduced the wristbands for water program and showed the kids what the wristbands look like. And the school has agreed to partner with me uh, to do a fundraiser and have these kids give back. But it's not only the kids giving back, what they're going to get in return is, is that the Noya Academy kids are going to write them letters. And so basically they will become pen pals and the kids here in the United States that join forces that, uh, from children's churches or from schools or different organizations, they will learn about the African culture. And these kids could possibly form a lifelong friendship. Love that. And that's such a powerful connection and think, that's, to me, one of the most powerful ways to really move the needle here. And if we can tap into the power of the kids here in America and allow them to show that they can make a difference from not only fundraising, but by making a friend and by understanding and having that cultural awareness, that really goes a long way uh, to help paying it forward and, and having a level of empathy to understand what's going on over there and doing our part over here to ultimately help raise all ships. Yes. It's important. Essential. I might say, um, and, and you mentioned a quote, uh, that I, I really like, uh, it was about the underprivileged communities and that John Adams quote, but I'd love for you to, to maybe read that or, or tell me about that quote and how that kind of helps drive your organization and what, what, what that means. Well, I think that quote from Jen Adams was um, 
really profound. And he just basically said that before any great things are accomplished, a memorable change must be made in the system of education to raise the lower ranks of society near to the higher. Again, before any great things are accomplished, a memorable change must be made in the system of education to raise the lower ranks of society near to the higher. In other words, we have to care enough about our neighbors, neighbors that perhaps we can't see, that don't live in our own neighborhoods, to give them an equal, a fighting chance to live, to learn, to grow, to love. And it's so funny because it's one of the principles that my mother taught my siblings and I. I have two older sisters growing up, but I never really got it until I started working with the Noya Academy because these kids may not ever remember my name. They may not ever remember the nonprofit's name, but they will remember that someone cared enough to come and help And isn't that what love is, the true sacrifice of love, giving of yourself, knowing that someone else may not know who did it? And it doesn't matter because you're helping. I love it. And give me the goosebumps there. I mean, one other quote I heard is people people forget what you said or, or what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And I think what you're doing and really giving students the opportunity to succeed is so important and water really is an important component as a foundational pillar for this, but the water helps build on to these educational opportunities, economic opportunities, family opportunities, friend opportunities. It's really the foundational pillar and, and we, we really love and appreciate the work that you're doing and want to do what we can to support. Um, and, and just to, to kind of wrap it up here, I, if people want to, learn more about your organization or get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Well, I have a website that is under construction since I came back from Ghana, and that is katinasclassroom.com. And Katina is with a K and classroom is with a K. But if you go to katinasclassroom.com, you can learn about the organization. I am posting daily posts because I text the uh, headmistress every day to find out what the children are doing. And I sent them some wristbands. And today she sent photos of the kids wearing their wristbands uh, to let people know that they're appreciative back here in the States that they want to help. And so those are two ways that you can, you know, find out about Katina's classroom and what we're doing over at Noya. And then if you want to join the wristbands for water program, you can simply just send me an email to info at katinarankin.com. That's K-A-T-I-N-A-R-A-N-K-I-N.com. So info at katinarankin.com. And I will respond to you personally. Love it, Katina. Well, thank you so much for all your time today and what you're doing with Katina's classroom. And we're really excited to learn more and collaborate further here in 2019. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you because it's people like you, Kevin, that give us a voice to help other people. And I don't think people realize just how important podcasters are and people who care. So a sincere thank you. Hey, it's my pleasure. 
couple things I really take from this conversation that hit me was the whole notion of creating pen pals. I mean, it's such a simple concept, but how powerful of a connection that can be for students in Atlanta or San Diego to connect with the very tangible level with those in Ghana and what that can mean for a lifetime friendship and really learning to understand the culture of one another. I also thought it was interesting to think about and not to laugh, but what that's like to be in a classroom where the only light you have is the sunlight. And imagine if it's early in the morning or late in the afternoon and all of a sudden you can't see and you can't read. And that really brings the importance to have sustainable power and lighting within these classrooms. And it's, again, water is such a foundational pillar. And we're going to be looking at that and helping her look at different options to drill different wells or maybe even take dirty water from a surface water standpoint and turn to clean water. But water is just a foundation where there's so many other things like power, uh, education, books, teachers, transportation that are, need to be considered as we're looking at the holistic model to bring the most value for people in these communities like this rural area of Jamestown, Ghana. If you got any other thoughts or ideas about working in Ghana or collaboration in Ghana, hit me up, slide to the DMs, always open for collaboration ideas. Thanks for listening. Take care.